You know, I regularly tell people uh, how important it is to follow what's going on with state government because it directly impacts their lives in ways that they don't really realize until, you know, there's a policy change like doubling the state's gas tax or uh, there's a question on a ballot to uh, change the income tax structure for the state, uh, even how the governor manages a public health crisis like COVID-19. Uh, and sadly, I think uh, not enough people pay close enough attention to uh, what's going on at uh, state government. Uh, but there's one thing that we like to focus here on, the WMAY Morning News Feed, so that you have a better understanding of how state government operates. I'm Greg Bishop, Chris Murphy in the newsroom. And Chris, we are joined by longtime politics observer Jim Nolan uh, in his latest capacity. He's the chairman for Citizens for Judicial Fairness. Uh, and Jim, thanks for taking time with us this morning. How you been? Uh, fine, Greg. Good to chat with you again. So uh, it's been a while uh, since you've been in the public spotlight. You do columns from time to time, uh, but you just uh, launched the Citizens for Judicial Fairness. Tell us what that's all about. Uh, in the past year, a number of us uh, looked back on a 2016 decision by the Illinois Supreme Court uh, written by uh, Justice Tom Kilbride, which we thought was outrageous because it knocked off the ballot, a citizen effort to uh, a citizen effort to let the voters decide on how they wanted to do redistricting, uh, and the proposal was with an independent uh, commission and to take it away from the legislators who, uh, under Mike Madigan's leadership, were basically selecting their voters rather than the voters selecting their legislators. And so we put together this effort uh, to... Uh, reject Tom Kilbride's effort at uh, retention on the court, which would have given him 30 years on the court, and we were uh, successful. And uh, uh, so we uh, we are pleased with that. Yeah, it's a big deal. First time in history, right, that voters uh, uh, failed to retain a sitting Supreme Court justice? Uh, yes. Uh, retention is uh, utilized in many states as a way of determining whether a, a judge should go forward or not. Uh, in many states, uh, judges are appointed, uh, and uh, that is a less partisan process. A citizen group of lawyers and citizens evaluates possible candidates for judgeships, and then the, a small number of those uh, candidate names are forwarded to somebody like the governor, as in Missouri, and then that governor selects from that panel. Uh, and thus, uh, partisanship is taken out of it, and uh, there are retention votes uh, for those candidates or for those judges later on. In Illinois, we use a partisan system uh, and uh, elect candidates uh, from the two major parties, and then later there are retention votes. And some people say, well, you should you, retention should be used only in cases where there's really outrageous behavior by a judge shouldn't be used in a partisan way. Well, I make the case that since they're elected on a partisan basis and if their decisions reflect partisan values, then it's fair to uh, challenge them on a partisan basis. Although we had people other than uh, Republicans uh, who were challenging Tom Kilbride because a lot of independents were upset with his obviously partisan decision in 2016 
to uh, reject the citizen initiative. We're talking with Jim Nolan. He is the chairman of Citizens for Judicial Fairness. So election night more than two weeks ago, citizens for the first time in Illinois history uh, reject the retention of a sitting Supreme Court justice. They also uh, rejected the uh, change to the income tax. Uh, And then a few days later, Jim, uh, we have multiple indictments handed down in the ComEd bribery scandal. Uh, You guys sounded off on that at Citizens for Judicial Fairness. What's the latest there? I think uh, Illinois House Speaker and Democratic State Party Chair Mike Madigan is a dead man walking. I think the ComEd admissions of a decade of bribery killed him politically. I mean, the fact that uh, Madigan and his confidants uh, pressured ComEd to put one of Madigan's minions on their corporate board had to send a chill down the backs of corporate leaders who think, gee, they sometimes may have to go to the legislature to seek change. And that's the way uh, things are operated in Illinois. Uh, I don't want to operate that way. I'll go someplace else. And so I think Madigan is a dead man walking politically. And uh, the big challenge, of course, now will be leadership and followership in what is probably going to be the most important legislative session in the uh, history of the state of Illinois. Jim, you've been watching and involved uh, with state government for for quite some time uh, and sounding off on these issues uh, in a variety of different capacities. how significant is this in the tenure of Mike Madigan, who's been the Speaker of the House uh, for all but two years since 1983? And what, Chris, you said uh, he's been in the legislature since like 72, 71. Um, yeah. What does this uh, yeah. mean for 50 him? years in January. <laughs> wow. He and he and I served together in the legislature half a century ago. Wow. I was, we were both very young fellows, and uh, he has been there ever since, and he's developed a lot of skill, as you would think a person would over 50 years, at uh, staying at the helm. But I, I think the, the problem with Mike Madigan has been that uh, – His personal objectives seem to be those of simply amassing and holding power and staying at the helm rather than spending that power in behalf of important policy objectives like creating a stable, balanced fiscal system, which um, we certainly do not have in Illinois. And so he he and his um, members were able to – he allowed them to avoid tough votes over the years on pension issues and and budget issues, and thus today, as a result of that, we have had terrific deficit spending uh, for decades, and uh, now we, we are the sick man in the room among the states uh, because of this huge unfunded uh, obligation that we face and, the, uh, of, of course, the terrific uh, unpaid bill situation we have. We're talking with uh, Citizens for Judicial Fairness Chairman and longtime Illinois politics observer Jim Nolan here with the WMAY Morning News Feed. And Jim, what's your reaction to Speaker Madigan putting a note out late Friday, essentially saying that, uh, you know, he's having conversations with members of his Democratic caucus and he has, I think he says, uh, uh, significant support uh, for uh, his his bid to be speaker. Uh, What do you take from the wording there, significant support uh, and his uh, insistence that he's going to continue on? Well, 
obviously he does have significant support from uh, the members uh, who have been loyal to him. Uh, this includes uh, Chicagoans and uh, union activists uh, uh, who have been in his camp for decades. And uh, uh, so uh, he'll go into the caucus meeting, which is a gathering, it's a party gathering, not a governmental gathering of, uh, in this case, the House Democrats who were elected in November. And they will then, uh, somebody will nominate Mike Madigan to be their candidate for speaker on the House floor or, and somebody else. Else, uh, may nominate another person, and the uh, caucus needs to have uh, 60 votes for one candidate in order to take those 60 votes onto the floor. And uh, in a govern in the governmental setting of the legislature, uh, with both Republicans and Democrats involved, the 60 votes would then elect a speaker uh, for the coming uh, two-year period. Now. Madigan, obviously, will try in the coming weeks to convince some of those who said they're against him to change their position. I think that will be very hard to do. Uh, But going forward, uh, if no one in the House Democratic Caucus receives 60 votes, uh, then uh, there will be a challenge on the House floor, a challenge, I should say, a difficulty in electing a speaker because uh, the House floor requires a majority of the members elected to elect a speaker. And so there could be a a long period in the legislature in which uh, uh, there is an inability to find 60 votes for any one candidate for speaker. And this happened in the Illinois State Senate. Uh, When Jim Thompson was governor, there was an impasse among the state senators, and it went for 80 or 90 votes. That's incredible to think about. Dozens and dozens and dozens of rounds of balloting. Uh, That could be what we face here uh, if Speaker Madigan insists on uh, uh, moving forward with a nomination for another term, an historic term, uh, to be Speaker of the Illinois House. We're talking with Jim Nolan on the WMAY Morning News Feed. I'm Greg Bishop. Chris Murphy's got a question, Jim. Yeah, sure, I'm saying, Chris. well, I think we were we were kind of rolling into that, Jim. You know, talking about that, and I'm, just to ask you, how long do you think it's going to take to find another speaker? Is there anybody clearly coming out of there that could be the heir apparent to Mike Madigan? Uh, no, there isn't, uh, so far as I would know, because. Uh, uh, there's been little practice at seeking and providing leadership other than under uh, under than from Mike Madigan. And so the options are, and uh, we have to think this through, but the options are, uh, would Republicans cross over and vote for a candidate of some of the Democrats? And that's doubtful. The Republicans are going to stand on the sidelines. And, yeah, and, they, they've and said spur- leader, leader Durkin has said this is the Democrats' fault. They, they, they've got to clean this up. Yeah, so the question will be, uh, can somebody uh, who seeks the leadership, uh, somebody other than Madigan who seeks the leadership, convince the Madigan folks that uh, – they're just going to have to concede that Madigan is not going to get the votes, and therefore uh, they have to turn to somebody else. But I'm going to guess there will be, and this is politics, uh, conflict, and uh, so you resolve conflict, but it often takes time. So it could be several weeks in January before there is a resolution. I think at some point there would be so much pressure 
on the Madigan folks, uh, if, if Madigan clearly is not going to get the 60 votes, uh, to turn somewhere else. And uh, that will be, and, and that is probably already a, a kind of discussion going on among individual members of the Illinois House Democratic Caucus. Well, I couldn't imagine, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks go by uh, trying to find a leader uh, and uh, all the other stuff that Illinois has to deal with from the budget to the pandemic and so on. Chris, question? I was just going to say, could it be possible that Madigan works then if he, if he realizes he doesn't have the votes? Could he work inside and try to get one of his people back up as Speaker of the House? Would that uh, that's, that's, that's possibly true. In other words, and again, I haven't been in the legislature in decades, as I just noted, but if there is no one elected as speaker, then the Secretary of State uh, presides over the legislature, and it is possible that even absent a, a an elected House member as speaker, there could be some... Uh, uh, agreement as to how to proceed, maybe adopt a set of rules that uh, uh, would allow the legislature to proceed even absent an elected House member as Speaker. That's just speculative on my part. Um, Or, as you say, Chris, maybe uh, Madigan would say, or or somehow it would be communicated that you know, Greg Harris or another one of the Madigan loyalists who is a member of the House would uh, uh, serve as a speaker and Madigan might uh, pull the strings on, on that person uh, if, if he could. So, uh, Chris, that's a good suggestion. I, I don't know that it's a good suggestion. It's a good uh, observation. <laughs> <laughs> and, Jim, just to circle back around here, um, the importance of the map. Uh, every 10 years, the census, Madigan's controlled that in the past. Um, how crucial is it that uh, the legislature get the next speaker right uh, because of the uh, the map-making process and the inability of uh, the citizens to have a, a larger role in that? Obviously, the map has always been central to the being of Mike Madigan. He just loves being able to put together maps that accentuate the uh, the wins by his party, uh, wins greater than maybe the total aggregate votes of Democrats versus Republicans statewide. A friend of mine looked at aggregate votes a few, couple of sessions ago and found that the Democrats in total received about 50 percent of all the votes for House members, but they received 60 percent of the seats. And he suggests that was the uh, result of, of gerrymandering. So if you're able to Uh, create districts that benefit your members over your opposition party members uh, that uh, give you uh, increased power. So uh, the map making is very important. The irony is, uh, since this appears to be a blue state now, uh, that is a democratic state, uh, Madigan probably doesn't, or whoever is uh, drawing the maps, doesn't need to gerrymander, that is, draw uh, odd-shaped districts uh, in order to maximize your voters. Uh, you don't need to do that to come out with a majority because you're uh, arguably a blue a blue state. Uh, but the needs of redistricting are not only that of maximizing the party's representation. It is, and this may be more important, it is protecting the incumbents, and they're the ones who draw the maps. So they want districts that that are as safe as possible for themselves. And so that's 
what results in, in gerrymandering. For example, if you're in the city of Chicago in a uh, depleted area that has lost population, uh, you might uh, have two legislators who live relatively close to one another and in a compact district, and that's a requirement of the Illinois Constitution, that the districts be compact in shape as much as possible, uh, then uh, those two members would be thrown into the same district. Well, they're not going to allow that. Instead, they're going to draw long, skinny, arthritic, finger-like districts, uh, respectively, out into the uh, county so that they can have enough population but still have a majority uh, of their supporters uh, within that district. And so that's why you end up with with gerrymandering. And, of course, if a map is enacted by Democrats, because they have significant majorities in both houses and in the uh, governor's office, then the question would be, uh, will the Republicans challenge such a map? And uh, they would probably do so if they thought it was gerrymandered to their disadvantage. So they would go to a circuit court outside of Cook County because they know they wouldn't get a good ruling in Cook County. Outside of Cook County, a judge might say, yes, this is gerrymandered. And uh, then that would be challenged automatically, would be challenged directly to the Supreme Court. It well, Jim, go Jim you know, it's obviously something we're going to have to talk more with you about uh, in the map-making process as we watch all this unfold. Greatly appreciate you taking the time with us today, and we'll talk again soon, okay? Good to talk with you guys.